Content warning. The Silence Voices Stories of MST podcast discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics related to military sexual trauma. We want to provide a safe space for survivors and those seeking to understand these issues better. Please be advised that the content may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know is in need of support, please consider seeking guidance from a mental health professional or a trusted resource. Welcome to Silence Voices, Stories of MST, hosted by Rachel Smith. This podcast is dedicated to giving a voice to military sexual trauma survivors. Each week, we'll bring you powerful stories of courage, resilience, and healing. Join us on this journey to create awareness, spark dialogue, and drive change within the military community. It's time to break the silence and amplify the voices of those who have been silenced for far too long. Listen in and become a part of a movement that's shaping the future. This is Silence Voices, Stories of MST. Hello and welcome. This is Rachel Smith, the host of Silence Voices, Stories of MST. Thank you so much for joining me. If you are listening today on Veterans Day, thank you for being with me on the release. This is a pretty exciting moment for a lot of survivors, myself included. Today's interview is with a former Air Force officer named Julie, who experienced so much sexual harassment throughout her time in the military. And she even mentions that it's something that she really has to deal with now as a civilian as well. But her interview is incredible. There are moments in it that you'll you'll get angry, you'll get annoyed, you'll definitely understand because this is something that many women face when they work in male-dominated industries. But there are also moments where you want to cheer for her and give her a hug and try to find some kind of trophy that she can put on her mantle for not giving up and protecting others. She protected others with her story and coming forward, and that is laudable in a situation that is downright terrifying to come forward. I also wanted to mention that Julie was one of the very first people to volunteer to be on this podcast when I was in the development phase. So this is a very brave young woman. I think she has a very bright future ahead of her. If you want to reach out to Julie because her story resonated with you, hang out till the end of the episode and I'll share the details on how to reach her. Hi, Julie. Welcome. (laughs) I went through ROTC with Rochelle. Mm -hmm. Prior to joining ROTC, I actually had not planned on going to the military. That was... Oh, really? (laughs) It was kind of a... I don't want to say it was unplanned, but it also wasn't planned. (laughs) I had a a friend in high school who she did CAP Civil Air Patrol. So I saw her in uniform a lot and, you know, she wanted to go to the Air Force Academy, which she did. But I had asked her when she applied, well, what do you do if you don't get in? And she goes, well, I'll do ROTC. So I had heard of ROTC, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really know anything about the military. I didn't know the difference between enlisted and officer, none of that. The idea was kind of in the back of my head. 
Mm -hmm. And um, I taught Taekwondo when I was in college. And I just like offhandedly said something about it to one of the instructors who just so happened to be a major in the Air Force. Interesting. (laughs) He was really the one that got like gung ho about it and convinced me to do it. He went with me to the university like open house and I saw the ROTC table there, asked them some questions. And all I heard was, I'm going to have a job after college. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) So did you have any family members in the past that had joined at all? Or you're just completely new to it? Yeah, my dad and several family members had been in the Navy. But my dad had retired when I was like six. So I didn't live the military life in any way. Like it was a completely unfamiliar thing for me it's different to hear like their stories about it and their experiences and then you're like how did I go through this (laughs) yeah when you did finally commission and after going through field training you just sort of live and breathe (laughs) air force what what was your expectation when you did finally like step foot onto your first base and process and all of that I don't really know what my expectations were. I I can honestly say I never went in with rose-colored glasses. I was never bleed blue, anything like that. But I also wasn't expecting it to be bad either. I was mm-hmm. just, you know, I was green. I was like, okay, I guess I'll just figure it out as I go. My first duty station was Korea, and I was a flight commander right off the bat of 62. Oh yeah. Wow. Most of my flight mates were older than me. <laughs> a huge responsibility just right out the gate yeah and I was told and this would actually be a theme throughout my career I was told yeah. that I had one of the hardest flights in the squadron and that went on throughout my career every place I went they're like you have the hardest fill in the blank <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was definitely a trial by fire that's for sure yeah. what did you think of Korea itself that must have been a huge transition from Texas to Asia yeah. oh my goodness I honestly I wasn't a huge fan the whole place that I worked just had this like black cloud over it that really dampened how I felt about Korea I was just living I was living in hell <laughs> I did not enjoy my time there it very much is like the the people in your environment shape the environment and you don't realize it until like you're away from your family and your friend <laughs> so it's harder to have the support or someone to just talk to and blow off steam so I, I totally understand that yeah and I don't want to make it sound like the people were bad it, it really wasn't the people it was just it was just the environment mm-hmm. it was just everyone was depressed there and mm-hmm. I can understand why it was just a very repressive feeling but it is amazing too that like you were able to you know see a country that people probably if they haven't been in the military it's not some place they would like commonly go if they're from the U.S. I mean I did have some fun times like mm-hmm. we went hi- uh, me and a group of friends went hiking and we spent the night we literally spent the night outside didn't even bring a tent we just spent oh the my night goodness <laughs> and I mean Korea has some really gorgeous nature oh that's wonderful I love that you got to have that experience though yeah. You want to transition now into kind of discussing MST and its impact. If you're comfortable, go ahead and head that way. Kind of briefly describe what your experience was with that. You don't need to name names or time frames yeah. or any of that, but just to your level of comfort, describe the, the incident itself. 
there are actually three separate incidents, mm-hmm. only one of which I reported, but all three incidents involved older men. And that has continued to be a theme since leaving the military. I don't know what it, well, I think I do know what it is. I look like I'm in my twenties. Guys are going through whatever midlife crisis they're mm-hmm. doing. And they see me as if I can get her, then I've still got it. It it still to this day happens all the time. We're just older men. And when I say older, I'm talking like late forties up to the seventies, just not only hitting on me, but just saying disgusting things. And I'm like, what makes you think that that's going to work? <laughs> so it's like people that could possibly be your father or grandfather. Yes. That's- yes. Okay. And I ask them every time I, I go, how old do you think I am knowing what they're going to say? And then I go, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm actually a lot older, but I'm curious what you think you have in common with a 20 something. Do they ever answer? They, they usually like, I, every, I don't know why I expect this because it never happens. Every mm-hmm. time I expect them to just walk away after that, but no, they just totally brush it off and keep going. I'm clearly giving you a signal that I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. So the one that I did report that happened in Afghanistan, well, not in Afghanistan, it was on the way to Afghanistan. Just the whole trip to Afghanistan and back was just horrible. So I had a two week notice. The person that was supposed to go got medically reclamed at the very last second and they needed someone from my base to go. I I had wanted to deploy. So I raised my hand. Sure. Um, What I didn't know is that they had to request for me to not have to go to pre-deployment training. They said I was going to need me right then. So they had sent that request off to Bagram. Unbeknownst to me, it was never approved or disapproved. So they just sent me off thinking, well, once she makes it to Qatar, they have no choice. They have to take her. No, I got to Qatar. They pulled me aside and said, we have to send you back. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was not fun. And because I only had two weeks notice, I had all my stuff. I had two large duffel bags, my gun, my chem gear, all of it. I had it all with me. So I went to pre-deployment training in New Jersey. This was the very last night. Me and some of my flight members, we were going to have a dinner. And then some of us were going to stay after dinner to go drinking. So it's going to be our last time having alcohol for a while. Yes, makes sense. Yeah. We, we were waiting for a taxi and I saw this guy sitting there and I had seen him around he was a, a higher ranking enlisted person okay. and he was just sitting by himself. So I was like, are you going you know, somewhere with anyone? No. And he just looked kind of down. So I was like, well, you can join our group. You know, that's fine. So he came with us and he was sitting next to me. And as he was talking to me, he kept like putting his hand on my knee. You know how some people, when they're talking to, they just get touchy, like yes, your yeah. hand on your shoulder, your knee. But I don't, there was just something I didn't like about him and I couldn't put my finger on it. I was just like, I don't, I don't get a good feeling from this person. So I had decided when the dinner was over and people started getting up to leave that I would just kind of secretively move, you know, <laughs> that I'm not like drawing attention to anything. So I moved, well, he moved too and sat across from me and he started like messing with my feet and I pulled my feet back and he goes, oh, we're playing footsie. And I just didn't know how to react. You know, when you go back in your head and you're like, I should have done this. I should have done that. Yeah. But at the moment, I was, it was just so shocking. He went up to get a beer. I moved again and I sat down next to some people and I was like, I'm not trying to cause any drama, but he's really creeping me out. I told him what happened. And I was like, can you just make sure he doesn't sit anywhere near me? 
yeah, sure, no problem. So we get up and we all go to the bar area to get some drinks. And as I'm reading the menu, he came up behind me and like, I can't remember if he put his hands on my shoulders or on my lower back, but he put him somewhere and was like rubbing. And I went, you need to get away or something to that effect. I was like, you know, you need to back off. Not cool. He, he did. He backed off for that moment. And then we left, went to another bar. And at this point I started, we all started getting a little drunk. <laughs> and so I think it was when we were leaving the second bar. I honestly like, that's where my memory is kind of fuzzy. We were leaving the bar and there was only enough room to be like single file as you're leaving the bar. And mm-hmm. he like cupped my butt. Oh my gosh. And I, yeah. And I grabbed his hand and like threw it down. I should have punched him, but it just, wow. you know, it, it was just so shocking. So we go to the next bar and he keeps trying to sit next to me. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't find this out till months later after I had reported it and they interviewed people that several of the guys had talked to him and told him to stay away from me. And he wasn't doing, he just kept coming over and because we were all drinking people weren't paying that much attention which I don't blame them for but they they did the best they could I went to the bathroom and as I was about ready to come out the door opened and I saw him standing in front of the bathroom just staring like basically waiting for me to come out so I'm like oh this one of the bartenders came in saw me there and as she came out, she saw that I was just standing there and she goes, are you okay? And I told her what was happening. And she goes, I'm going to get one of my guy friends and we're going to walk you out because our taxi had just arrived. So they walked me out to the taxi. We all got in the night ended. I told my roommate about it and, you know, just how creepy it was. Well, she kind of sort of knew the guy and she was like, you need to report this. And I didn't want to, cause I was like, I, I had already had friends who had reported stuff. So I knew what that process was like. And I was like, I do not, I do not want to go through this. But what changed my mind is she said, he's going to be a shirt. For those that don't know what a shirt is, they're like the, the HR people. And he was going to be at a group level, which meant he was going to have hundreds of airmen under him. And I was like, if he did that to me, a captain, like, and he very openly bragged again, I found this out later. He very openly bragged to the other male officers that he was trying to get me to sleep. So just gross on so many levels. I feel my skin crawling here. I still feel my skin crawling here. When she told me that, all I could think was he knew I was an officer and Mm -hmm. was very openly hitting on me, which tells me he's done this and he's gotten away with it. Yeah, imagine what he's going to do in a deployed environment with airmen under him who are going to be terrified of his brain. Yeah, that's why I decided to report it. Thank you for doing that. I mean, how many people did you probably save? That that's the honestly, that's really the only positive thing I can say came mm-hmm. out of that. Like that, that's what I stick with in my head is like mm-hmm. I know I saved airmen from having to deal with that able. How would you say that it that particular incident had affected you maybe mentally or emotionally, like your, your overall well-being. Stuff like that had happened before. So it, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that it was shocking to me. What, what was horrible about the experience was the process that I went mm-hmm. through. I knew that this was going to be the process because he was in the guard. They assigned a guard jag to me, which everyone knows the guard protects their own. 
um, I was assigned to Jack and someone knew the guy and told me that he had a reputation for being a bro. That person was like, he's not going to be on your side. I just know that. And he wasn't. He, for months, for months, he kept trying to get me to change my story. He asked me the same questions over and over and over again. So let me back up to the interview. When this guy was interviewed by OSI, he openly admitted to them that he thought we had something. Keep in mind, he's enlisted. I'm an officer. He just openly admitted to them like, oh yeah, I I thought we were hitting it off. And when I was told this, I was like, is he not aware that that's not supposed to happen? I don't understand. There were multiple witnesses. No one saw him grab my butt, but they all saw how he was acting towards me. Everyone cooperated my story. Even his own commander said, yeah, he, he's kind of got a reputation for being creepy, but you know, he's really good at his job. (laughs) You know, that totally negates his creepiness. Right. But I also found out he had two other harassment, well, not charges, but claims against him prior to me that got swept under the rug. Of course. So he felt probably emboldened to keep doing this because there hadn't been any repercussions in the past. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sitting there like as, as the JAG is asking these questions, I'm sitting there going, there is all the proof in the world that this guy is a creep, that, that he is has and is going to continue doing this to women. Like, how are you not seeing this? It almost felt like it was more about proving that I was a slut than it was proving that he did something wrong. How did that that particular statement is, is so powerful and so prevalent in, in a lot of the stories that I've heard from women, from men, not so much. There's a, a whole different kind of mind game that's played in that case, but how did having dirt thrown on your integrity and, and your values, what, how did that feel? It was horrible. And honestly, like there were times when I questioned myself, mm-hmm. they were so adamant that it, that, you know, I just wasn't remembering it right. That, you know, he was really trying to help me because I fell and I'm just not remembering it. That, that was one of the things that he said. And they kept bringing that up. And I was like, that is not what happened in any way. And Mm -hmm. the story that he gave about me falling wasn't even the location that like where he claimed it happened. That wasn't even the location that it happened in. So I'm like, no, that that is not what happened. (laughs) They just kept saying it over and over. So I, I really thought like, maybe I am remembering this wrong. I don't know. Keep in mind, I was also in Afghanistan. I had other men hitting on me and trying to touch me. So it was just awful. It was awful. I know it's, it's thrown around loosely now. It's like a, a catch-all for lying, but, but you were being gaslit where you know what happened and you were basically being convinced you were crazy. Yeah. And you're, you're gaslit by the people that are supposed to be helping you. That That's the, the part that's just... Well, it's it's shocking, it's horrifying, and I, did you feel that there were even more challenges that you faced while you were trying to go through this process of, of you're deployed, people are behaving incorrectly on deployment, you, you don't have access really to your family and friends for support, and then it's just this whole cluster of being 
gaslit on top of that. <laughs> yes, Afghanistan was just a horrible experience. I had a commander that he had a very Trump-like ego. Well, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, he was very Jekyll Hyde. So like one day he would be really happy and the next he would be a monster. And so on the days that he was happy, we were even more anxious because we knew that that meant the following day he was going to be awful. And so it was just this constant state of anxiety. I had a guy who was in the Navy sitting next to me that was constantly whispering under his breath about how he either wanted to kill himself or kill us. And we reported it multiple times, nothing happened. So it was just this constant state of anxiety. (laughs) Now, currently, just to fast forward a little bit, do you still have issues with anxiety? Like, yeah, because you're your uh what's it your amygdala like the the fear center in your brain if it's constantly under attack it actually grows <laughs> yeah and so your uh your whole endocrine system all of that starts to be stressed and then lo and behold you have ptsd which is an anxiety disorder i was actually finally diagnosed with that i didn't think i had it because when when you think ptsd you think someone who's been through like a massive trauma you know mm-hmm. and my trauma was not that it really wasn't but it was just a compounding of other things around it right and it was actually a friend of mine he works for the VA in Wisconsin I taught his son Taekwondo and he reached out to me because I'd written a book he reached out to me and he was like you have PTSD and I was like no I don't he goes yeah hun you do (laughs) and we need to get you that disability would you like to share about your book Sure. Yeah. So it's called The Myth of Adulting. Everyone's just winging it. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) It's based on, I've been keeping a journal to my future husband since I was 19. I just went through and I pulled pieces of my journal out and I would put the journal entry as like a chapter. And then I would Mm -hmm. explain like, this is what I was going through at this point in my life this is the big life lesson I learned from that. So I do talk about my experience in that book as well. Um, But I go much more into detail in Colonel Furman's book, Stories from the Front Line. I think people should probably start doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you really get to see your your maturity as Mm -hmm. go back through time and just see the way that you wrote and what you were thinking about, what you thought were problems that weren't problems. only I'd known. When it came to the process, was there a court martial that happened? I don't know. I will never know what happened to him. What did happen was, so the JAG, keep in mind, I never actually spoke with the JAG. This was all done through my victim advocate. She was the one talking to everybody on my behalf, but Mm -hmm. he told the victim advocate that I had no case and that the best I could hope for was an LOR, which for those of you that don't know, an LOR, it's a letter of reprimand, and it just goes on your record for a year, and then it's basically a slap on the hand. So at that point, my dad had recommended write Senator Gillibrand, because mm-hmm. at the same time, the whole Me Too movement was happening, and he was like, she's really big right now, especially on stuff like this happening in the military. He was like, write her. So before I did, I decided to let my victim advocate know. She let the JAG know. And, oh, all of a sudden, I was given a new dad. Sounds about right. (laughs) So the person that replaced him, it was actually the JAG commander. And he had one of his lieutenants go through all the the interviews and everything. And he actually told my victim advocate, I don't know what 
my jag was smoking. She has one of the best cases I've ever seen. Sure, no one saw the actual event, but she has witnesses corroborating her story. Her story hasn't changed. We've got two other harassment things against this guy that was swept under the rug. No, she has a great chance of getting this guy nailed to the wall. So the last step was convincing the commander because it was actually up to the commander. For the longest time, I don't want to say that he didn't believe me, but he was hesitant because, you know, obviously he'd only seen the good parts of this guy. And he was questioning what my motives were and what finally convinced him my victim advocate actually flew out to meet with him. And she basically told him she doesn't know this person. She has no reason to want to ruin his career. She didn't know him prior to this event. They've never been at a base together. She has no reason to do this to this other than he did something to her. And so that's what finally convinced him. So she told me what would likely happen is he would get an article 15 and would get kicked out. I, I will never know though, if that actually happened. How do you feel about that as if, if that was the punishment that was doled out to him? Do you, do you feel vindicated by that? Absolutely. I'm just pissed off that it took me going through all that to get there. That's completely understandable. After all of that, do you feel like it affected your career at all? No, this is one thing I will say. Another good thing that came out of this situation, I had an amazing commander and I had an amazing flight commander, both men, but both immediately believed me. I had a really good reputation. I I was kind of no, I don't want this to come off as like dogging on other women. So that, that that's not why I'm saying this. I was known as a good girl. I'm not saying anything bad about people who choose to, to have an active sex life. Good for you. Like that's your thing. It was not my thing. So I was known as being a good girl. So they immediately believed me, supported me, constantly reached out to me to ask how I was doing. Wonderful, wonderful commanders. It's sad that you have to put that disclaimer prior to that statement, because that's very much how women in the military are perceived. They're either good or tramps. There's no like in between. And it's like, if you're married, then you're invisible unless you cheat or mm-hmm. someone meets with you. But if the, if the husband cheats somehow, it's just guys, yeah. guys you know, <laughs> those will be boys. Funny you bring up that statement. Cause actually there was a kind of a middle ranking enlisted member that was getting ready to leave. And he invited me out to his going away. It was a karaoke party. And I didn't know most of the people there. Or no, I I did know most of the people there. There was one person I didn't know. Sorry, I had the story reversed. Um, (laughs) But he walked in and this guy introduced me. And he goes, she's one of the good lieutenants. And I was like, what does that mean? He goes, well, you can sleep around. And I went, none of them do. Because we were all very a tight-knit community. Right. Yeah, like I knew these women like the backs of my hand. I mean, we hung out all the time. If there was stuff going on, we would talk about it amongst each other, right? That stuff wasn't going on. And so it's like, none of the women here are sleeping around. He goes, oh, you're so naive. And I went, really, you want to talk naivety? Let's talk about your lieutenant boys who are sleeping around with the juicies, the human traffic Filipinos. Let's talk about that. 
exactly. They don't introduce the the male counterparts as oh, this is all Virgin Stevens over here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh. <laughs> oh, it just made me so angry. Yeah. And that was um something that was very eye-opening to me. I, I lived in Guam uh, for a few years and I had no idea about how much human trafficking plays into being it's like a part of the service there's there's just a lot of transactional relationships let's like, I'm trying to think of a, a PC way yeah. to say it but it's it's like a lot of that is around bases whether it's in the states or abroad there's just a lot of I don't want to say inappropriate but it's it's just you don't really understand the reality of it when you're outside of it but then when you're there and you see people scooting off at two o'clock three o'clock in the morning Mm-hmm. And then you're just like that, that poor woman, this, this is her life. This isn't just a, a fun story for when you're 50 or 60 talking to your, I don't know, nephews or grandkids, probably, but it's, this is someone's life. They have no escape from this. Then also you as a woman that's active duty, if you are to point that out to somebody, you're wrong. It's, it's weird. So it's like, if you're not sleeping around, you're wrong. If you are sleeping around, you you're, you're wrong. wrong. If you're married, you're unavailable, but still somehow wrong. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's very hard to exist in the state, a male dominated space, whether it's military or I don't know if you are a mechanic or you're an engineer or something like that. I've, I've heard so many dissimilar incidents of you might even just be the expert in your shop. Like, you know, everything, but people will go check with a guide to make sure. Yeah, it's ugh, it's so, so frustrating. So after all of this happened, and then when you, you separated from the Air Force, how was it to transition with, with something like that? Actually, unknowingly having PTSD and anxiety, what was, what was that process like for you? So I actually did go to therapy. So I will promote this, the Stephen A. Cohen Family Military Clinic. They have several around the country. They had one in San Antonio. That's where I moved to. Loved it. I, I wasn't going necessarily for the sexual trauma. It was more so for, I, I still to this day really struggle with dating with those experiences because I can't help it. I just don't trust men. I just don't because I've just had so many bad experiences. So that was helpful. I still would not say I'm past it, but I'm better than I was. I've tried other kinds of therapy. They just haven't worked, unfortunately. With the anxiety part of it, I actually, so my first year outside of the military was really difficult because I think you'll probably understand this. When everything is a fire in the military, (laughs) you live in anxiety and you don't even realize it. You have no idea that you are living it. Outside of the military, my first job was kind of boring. Like there wasn't a whole lot going on. I still felt this just anxiety and I didn't know why I was feeling it. And that's actually why I started going to therapy. It turned into therapy for my sexual trauma, but I was originally going to deal with just generalized anxiety because I couldn't figure out what was wrong. She actually told me, she's like, this is very common for military people because your brain is so used to just being on all the time. And then when you don't have something to be on about, your brain doesn't know how to 
deal with that. Yeah, she gave me a lot of coping mechanisms. I did much, much better until my most current job. I, I don't hate my job. I don't want to put that out there. I don't hate my job, but I'm a trainer and we have different parts of training. And the part that I was in did not mesh well with my personality. So I, I had some major anxiety. That's why I started meditation. But then thank God I have an amazing boss. He realized like we need to get her out of this situation. So I am now transitioning into a different part of training that is much more suited to my personality. I'm so elated to hear that you've you've had support every step of the way, which is it's, yeah. that's something that like you don't really hear that often. That's more like, oh, I had no one to turn to or or things like that. So it's I'm just absolutely stoked to hear that. Yeah. That you did have support. Did you ever reach out to the VA? Not intentionally, no. <laughs> there, so I have issues with seeing the OBGYN for reasons completely right. unrelated to okay. the sexual trauma. And so one of my doctors, actually, and it was actually a male doctor, <laughs> he was like, have you ever seen, they call it a floor, floor therapist, I think is what they call it. They basically like help you get over that. Oh. I've never heard of it before. And he, yeah. And he was like, yeah, we, we have therapists for that. So he assigned me one and that was great. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you for, I didn't know that existed. <laughs> thank didn't you for either. <laughs> Are there any others that you had reached out to for help or kind of run into along the way? I tried one called Anxiety Guys, which was, I, I found out about that through LinkedIn. You know, it has a great reputation. It just didn't work for me. It's meant to retrain your brain, to think about your trauma differently. It just didn't work for me, but they have great reviews. So I, I know that they do work. That's just kind of how therapy is. It's sometimes something gels or the therapist gels with you. A lot of times it doesn't happen. It's like putting together a puzzle <laughs> for your brain. And earlier you had mentioned that you learned some some healthy coping skills. Are there maybe one or two in particular that you rely on the most that are the most helpful? Honestly, writing. That, mm-hmm. That's one of my biggest coping skills. That's part of the reason I wrote a book. I also wrote a second book called Letters from Future Me. It's not my writing. It was actually a collaborative book where people from like let's say you're in your 30s you're writing to someone in your 20s you're in your 40s you're writing to someone in their 40s that that's kind of how I get it out karaoke too I love to sing karaoke but I like to sing the sassy songs because that's how I get like my anger out is for singing sassy songs (laughs) is there one in particular that's like your your go-to I love the song, I Did Something Bad by Taylor Swift. Oh, it's one of my favorite songs. It's like a hair tossing song. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, I think Taylor, she is a voice for so many. And she is such a skilled writer that I I think like, what was it? The album 1989 was the one that I was just like, oh, okay, like, I, I see you prior to that I hadn't really been familiar with her music but then like kind of interacting with her fans online and seeing how much she's impacted them and and even inspired them to speak up or or to vote or you know just not be afraid of being a woman that's a that's a powerful lady right there she has my respect for sure (laughs) she actually she's the reason I kept fighting 
during this case because it was, I was about to give up on this case. It was when I was told that he was going to get Melowar and that was it. That's when the story broke about her sexual assault case mm-hmm. um, where she countersued for $1, you know, a symbolic $1 and won. I didn't know anything about it until, you know, it was settled. Like that's right. when the news broke about it. And like, that just really gave me hope that, no, I can't keep doing this. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't understand why I'm such a big Swifty because, you know, she's not everybody's bag. I get it. But, <laughs> There have just been so many times throughout my life because her music came out right when I started college and I had moved mm-hmm. from California to Texas. So had no friends like her music just kind of carried me through. There were so many times where songs came out at just the right time for mm-hmm. whatever situation I was going through. So that's why I'm such a big fan of hers is she just mm-hmm. I feel like her music gets me. <laughs> Thanks for, you know, just helping us keep our heads above water, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So if there was any advice you could give young men or young women that are considering joining any of the services, what do you think would be the the biggest thing that would help them in their career? Hmm. Well, first, before you even join, I would do a personality test. Mm -hmm. Um, Had I done that before? Well, actually, I did do that before. And it said that that military would be great for my personality. Throughout my time in the military, my personality slightly changed. And now my personality says, no, you would hate right. me. <laughs> Definitely do a personality test um, to see if that would even be a fitting type career for you. If, you. if you already struggle with depression or anxiety, don't join the military. It is just going to compound that. I really wish I had known that ahead of time because I did and still do struggle with depression and anxiety that was not beneficial having your brain on all the time is is exhausting plus having the mental illness factors yeah that's a an astute assessment for sure I think when people are that age group too it's like your early 20s late teens that's when all of that stuff starts to manifest so sometimes you just you don't even know until you're already you know in basic but um, yeah, it's definitely good to see because there you you can tell kind of with all the different leadership and and all the different bases and even you know in DC and everything like they're all kind of similar personalities that rise to the top. Yeah, I would also tell people um, you know research careers ahead of time mm-hmm. military because I don't a lot of people especially when they enlist they have they they just put general or something down you know know what you want because you do not want to get stuck in a job that you hate as far as far as military you know sexual trauma like you're gonna face that in or out of the military like mm-hmm. the military is not it military is just basically civilian life in the military <laughs> like yeah. you know you're gonna run into the same problems I would say this you'll definitely experience some things that you would never experience in civilian life especially if you're in any kind of supervisory role, military is very controlling and you will have to deal with situations that normally you would be totally hands-off in the civilian world. (laughs) That's the truth there. Do you feel that you're kind of stronger in any way or tougher having gone through that experience? Has it fundamentally changed how you kind of see the world or interact with people? I'd say there's been both 
negative and positive. Positive in the sense of, well, I mean, you knew me in ROTC. I had zero confidence. I had just none whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I remained that way until about halfway through my time in Italy, right around 2014-ish, a situation happened where I kind of had to pull myself out of a really dark place. And after that, I was like, never again. I will never let someone make me feel that way again. I would say my confidence in myself grew. I stopped letting people walk all over me. I started owning what I like and what I don't like. And if I don't like something, I don't do it. The negative side, I would say, is I'm a little, I don't want to say too confident. That's not the right word, but a little too combative. Because of that situation, there are times where I, I will fight something that I shouldn't be fighting. Have you ever experienced the hypervigilance? You said you, that you had some difficulty with dating. Is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really hard for me to let my guard down. I, I still haven't figured out a way to do that because it's just constantly in the back of my mind. Like whenever they put their hand on my shoulder, it could be totally innocent. But in my head, I'm going, where's that hand going next? I can't not think that. <laughs> To me, that the question to, that's also in, in the back of my head in those situations, it, do guys go around touching each other's shoulders like that? Like, I don't recall seeing that ever. That's it's weird. It's, it's just odd. Um, I always think that too, especially when it's a stranger that does it. Like, this happens all the time. <laughs> like, guys will just come up and like do that quick shoulder squeeze. And I'm like, I don't fucking know you. Don't yeah, touch me. Like you said, you don't do that to men. What? It's just a, on on many levels, it's a cultural thing where that kind of harassment or entitlement to women's bodies is, is baked into our culture. Like people don't stop and think before doing something like that and it's it's definitely changing now but it's going to take a lot more time for people to not only be cognizant of it but to actively make the choice to not do things like that and that's something that's slow because I I remember uh, I think I was probably in my early 20s complaining to my mom about being whistled at or something like that. And she was like, oh, you should have seen what it was like in the 70s. I was just like, oh, God. I actually met a woman who was in the military in the 70s. And she was complaining about the Me Too movement. And she was like, these girls have no idea how bad we had it. And, you know, we didn't go around talking about it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, but you paved a way for women to be in the military. This is my generation's way of paving a way forward for this kind of crap to not happen. Speaking of that, just with the military changing over time and and handling MST, how did you feel when, when President Biden had signed that executive order that had added sexual harassment to being something that could be charged? I'm all for it. Yeah. The only, my only hesitation with it is, please don't take this the wrong way, but there are people who will use something like that to, to get back at someone. Yeah. I have heard stories about that where, you know, women have accused guys of, you know, whatever, raping them, touching them, whatever the case may be. And then later on, it was discovered that she was lying because he pissed her off in some way. 
but his reputation didn't get cleared. It's it's so despicable when when someone chooses to do that because you are taking away from so like a it's a small percentage of people that that do that, but the this huge percentage of people that have been affected by it, you're taking away from the validity of their statements, the validity of their trauma, and you're just reinforcing this negative belief that we're making it up. It's so detrimental and so selfish that I, I truly believe people should be punished for that. It shouldn't just be like a one-off, well, oh, well, we're sorry. You deserve to be punished or reprimanded or jailed even. Whatever that person that you accused is going through, you should experience that yeah. because that's that's just disgusting. Yeah, 100% agree. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know the executive order also without commanders being the decision makers. God, I'm so happy about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's to me it's it's amazing that these these people, they're they're not I mean, yes, you get all sorts of leadership training and whatnot as you progress through the ranks, but there's all these different soft skills and the sort of training that like victim advocates have and, and the SARC representatives from having an intense social work background. They they understand what happens when someone like you is gaslit, even though you've done nothing but tell the truth the whole time. I don't think that commanders are anywhere close to well-versed and stuff like that. They all have their their personal bias. They have what they've experienced coming through the ranks too and what they've seen of other instances of MST and and their own personal feelings about it. I I don't think in any way, shape, or form they're able to give an unbiased opinion and and, and making that decision. Especially if it's someone that they feel close with. Yes, exactly. There was a major once that I'd spoken with when I was going through my trials and tribulations and she had put it to me in in such a perspective that I was like that makes sense she said she was also in the guard I want to say but she was telling me that she had two very good guy friends that they started together and were pretty much always in the, the same places together they had a very close friendship she knew their families they knew her husband all of that and they were discussing MST at, at one point in their careers. And one of her close male friends was like, I I don't think that it's not being handled correctly. And she said, okay, I've been friends with you for, let's say, 15 years. And what if something happened between me and our other friend? What if I came to you and and said, hey, this incident happened, I'm uncomfortable, I need to go make a report. How would you choose? Because men kind of have this brotherhood mechanism that kind of goes all the way back to being hunter-gatherers. Well, and women do too. We protect our own each other. Yes. How would you handle that situation? She said he was quiet (laughs) for a good five minutes thinking it over. And he's like, I I don't know. I, I don't think I could. And she's like, exactly. We protect our own, not 
even just based on gender, but all these other different demographics, it could be race, age, like millennials, we're pretty much all like, oh, through the boomers, you know? And (laughs) but there's all these different pockets of people identifying with each other and, and feeling the need to protect, especially when one of their own is accused of something that horrific. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to to watch that new process roll out and and see the change and and one thing I I do want to learn from people that might be in helper organizations is is do people feel safe to join now versus 10 years ago that's a big question for the future article that you posted yesterday about the girls basically honeypotting guys into the military mm-hmm. I sent that to my brother-in-law because his his son is about to go into ROTC and I was like oh great that's totally what the military needs is just let's just hornball guys into the military let me pull that article up so I can read the, the title of it because I was absolutely disgusted I'd seen that article a few months ago, there was a similar one. Or no, no, no. That was actually back in January. But then I went to see if there was a follow-up. And it was by a completely different company. This one in particular was called From Simp to Soldier. Yep. How the military is using e-girls to recruit Gen Z into service. And it's a very interesting article. It's talking about psyops and just how... These beautiful, beautiful girls are just talking about like, oh, well, you know, I just love a man in uniform and incorporating that into their TikToks and reels and all of that. And it's just like, we're not objects. Those girls are perpetuating that exactly. we are objects. They are basically trying to get men who just want women to join the military. And it's like, no, that's not what we need. This is going to set us back another 50 years. The thing too is that when those people that have been influenced to join that way realize that they've been baited and switched the anger frustration that's going to be taken out on some poor girl to me i i can't respect that at all that's that's completely disappointing to see us make one step forward and then take 10 back within the same year but i would say my my final question um don't have to answer it if you don't feel comfortable, but if there was anything you could say to that person for, for the um, incident that you reported, what would you say to them now as the person you are that has gone to get help and done quite a bit of work to work forward and kind of put something like that behind you? I hope he learned his lesson. I doubt he did, but I hope he did. I definitely hear you. Thank you so much for joining me. Are there any organizations that you'd like to highlight or maybe your books? I'm definitely going to put them on the website so that people can learn more about you. So yeah, if there's any one organization or person you want to shout out for steering your ship correctly (laughs) through this, this rough sea, now's your chance. Definitely my victim advocate, Ashley. She was incredible. The Stephen A. Cohen family military clinic great therapy excellent therapy the goal for me asking about highlighting a particular person or organization is after each interview i i just want to comprise a good resource list and keep updating it each interview so that people can go learn more maybe one 
is in their area, maybe they live in the same state as you or something like that. Or if they just want to donate, I, I really feel like the solution to this problem is just more and more information. For sure. I think a lot of people, they, they don't have the access to that information so that when the unthinkable happens, what they, they do know is all the horror stories, you know, they don't know about all of the, the helpers along the way that, that get you to a, a safer place, both mentally and emotionally. And I just want to give encouragement to anyone out there who's dealing mm-hmm. with the same kind of feelings that I'm dealing with when it comes to dating or whatever, like for a long, long, long time, only recently have I come out of this, but for a long, long time, I beat myself up over it. Like, why can't mm-hmm. I get past it? Everyone else seems to be able to get past it. Why can't I get, you know, they're rape victims who are able to get married. Like how Mm -hmm. how do they get past it? You know, there's clearly something wrong with me, but I've just kind of come to an acceptance place of sometimes you just can't and that's okay. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm very happy being single. I hope love happens for me someday, but if it doesn't, I'm also good. need to have a man in my life to feel complete I feel complete already my family jokes like they don't mean it in a mean way but there are times you know where like I need something fixed around the house I'll have to call my dad or my brother-in-law and they'll go Julie repeat after me need a man (laughs) so sometimes like when I think when I do fix something myself I'll call them and be like repeat after me I don't need a man Yes, ma'am. That is so right. But yes, again, if you are in the midst of trying to get through something like this, just, you know what, take your time. It's completely okay to have those off days. I did want to do one more job. I had a <laughs> co-worker in Afghanistan who I told him what was going on, you know, the mm-hmm. situation, everything. He was so supportive and he's still supportive. He'll reach out to me sometimes and be like, hey, just want to check in. How are you doing? His name was Lieutenant Lukic, but just a really good family guy, very pro-women, just so supportive of me during that time. Just wanted to give him a shout out. Thank you, LT. That was Julie, who we just finished listening to, and her voice is just a ray of sunshine. Uh, Although this topic was very serious, she was still able to smile and really understand the huge impact that she made in saving all of these younger airmen that really wouldn't have stood a chance against this person. It just, it really makes you think how one person stepping forward can save so many other people from this trauma. So again, with this episode, thank you, Julie for volunteering to share your story and being a bright spot for survivors. If you want to reach Julie and let her know that her story touched your heart, go ahead to silencevoicesmst.com. On the top menu, you'll see Listen Online. A second button on that page says Salute to Survivors. So when you click on that, you'll be able to send in a letter. Uh, Go ahead and send some kind words to her. It is very difficult to get on here and share some of just the worst moments in your life. Also, in that same area, just above that, if you'd like to be on the podcast and want more information about it, go ahead and click on the Get on the Podcast button. You'll get some information from me via email just about participation. And again, just want to mention the Indiegogo campaign. It is still going. So if you want to click on the Donate button on our website, also in that same top menu, it's there. We're just raising money to keep this podcast running and give it great professional quality and get this message out there so that more people can benefit. 
The last announcement I have to make is just about doing the survey in the show notes. I would love to get some feedback so that we can, again, shape this podcast into a true resource for survivors and for people that want to learn more. If you are listening on Veterans Day, happy Veterans Day. I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. And please remember all the family members that are out there supporting the veterans as well. And I invite you to stay safe, be kind, and take care. This has been Rachelle Smith. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Silence Voices, Stories of MST. Your support means the world to us. To keep these important conversations going, we rely on your generosity. Consider donating to help us continue to shed light on this crucial issue. Visit our website at www silencevoicesmst.com to contribute, get involved, and join our community. Together, we can make a difference. Stay tuned for more inspiring stories, and remember, your voice matters.